The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, yes, like Chris said, uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Kyle Knight. I'm the family pastor here at Fathom Church. It's good to see all of you here. Um, I'm going to get loud. So this is, this is going to be this is going to be hot up here, okay? Just to let you know. Um, hey, so uh, uh, we are in our Advent series, so go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Uh, yes, we are still in Luke chapter 1. It's a long chapter. Uh, there's a Bible underneath every chair. If you go ahead and grab one of those, uh, it will be found on page 856 of those Bibles. We're going to start on verse 39. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, the last couple of weeks, if you've been here with us, if you haven't been here with us, we've been walking through this Christmas story of obviously the birth of Jesus, and we, we've been uh, kind of breaking this down into two different characters each week and sort of looking at those two characters of these stories. Um, two weeks ago, we took a little deeper dive into Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then last week, Pastor Chris was up here and he walked us through Joseph and Mary and specifically Mary's um, sort of right posture in questioning um, the, the, the angel and what the angel Gabriel told her and exactly what was going to happen um, or really how it was all going to happen, if you remember that. And uh, today we're going to continue this and take a deeper dive into a, a pair of, of people, a pair of characters from Luke's uh, gospel account of the birth of Jesus. Now, uh, but these aren't new characters. Okay, we're not going to see two new characters. In fact, we're taking one from each of those first sort of two weeks of our Advent already. And today we're going to be looking at Mary and Elizabeth. Okay, Mary and Elizabeth. So, um, but I want to just at, at the very beginning of, the, of this, uh, put a little disclaimer on this sermon, okay, uh, right at the top here. And I just want to preface our time together by saying um, we're going to go, what, what we're going to go through this, this kind of story is pretty difficult, Okay, so it might be difficult to hear some of these things. And I know this is Christmas and um, Advent series. And, you know, we're talking about uh, two women who are pregnant uh, that, uh, with, with incredible blessings that change the world for, for good. Um, and we're supposed to be all joyful and merry and bright around this time. But uh, today's difficult. And today this could be difficult for some, if not most of us, uh, to hear this, if we're honest. So... Uh, because today we're going to be not just talking about Mary and Elizabeth, but we're also going to be talking about humility and pride. Yes, humility and pride. Um, these two things can be difficult to talk about in church because here's, here's the thing. Um, I would bet the second I said that we were going to be talking about humility and pride, most of us had maybe one or two thoughts. Okay, and I heard some groaning. So one or two thoughts, one or two ways you thought about this. For one, maybe, uh, maybe those couples out there, uh, you heard these words and you immediately gave the side eye to your spouse, right? And uh, you kind of thought, oh, this will be a good one. This will be a good one for them to hear. They need to, they need to hear this. And, oh, pride, honey, you better listen, better pay attention to this one, right? Maybe, you're, maybe you thought that, okay? Or maybe the second thing is maybe the flip side of that response, or after you even thought that, is you maybe thought, uh, okay, humility, pride, like, I don't really struggle with this. Like, this isn't something that, like, I've got this humility thing down pretty good. Um, I don't struggle with the pride thing or being proud. Uh, this one isn't for me. Like, I'll just flip through my phone and check the Bronco score, 
but the Broncos don't play early this week, so you're stuck, all right? No excuses, no excuses this morning. Um, But in all seriousness, like this is a topic that's tough for most of us uh, because we either automatically think that we're the most humble person out there and we don't struggle uh, with that one side, that, that pride side, or we push it on to those who are closest to us and we think, Other people struggle with this, and they need to be working on this. Um, And everybody else needs to hear it, but not us. Um, And a text like this becomes difficult if we're walking in pride, because it's almost impossible. If you're walking in pride, it's almost impossible to see that you are walking in pride. Now, I, I... Um, I told you that we're going to be looking at two different characters, Mary and Elizabeth, and maybe you're thinking, okay, well, if we're thinking of these, these, these two gals, all right, that maybe one of them um, must be showing this a great example of what it looks like to walk in humility, all right? Maybe, maybe one of them uh, lives a very humble life, especially with this craziness of their, their circumstances, the news that they've been, been given, um, and then maybe it's the other one that kind of shows us maybe the opposite of that, an example of uh, maybe someone who's, who's a little prideful um, and, and what happens if we don't commit to a life of humility, we could um, let this sin of pride sort of take over. And, and in fact, actually, that's not the case with these two. It's not the case with these two women. Um, we don't have a situation where one is um, one way and the other is another way and we're learning how to be one and not the other. Uh, but we actually see that both of these women handle their own separate news of what's gonna be happening to them with so much trust and faith and, and humility. And I think that's really important that we look at them. And so, um, so then you're thinking, okay, where does the pride come in? Um, and so that's what we're going we're gonna to pick up in our text. And I want to read first uh, this first section. So look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 39. I'm going to read kind of a big chunk, and then we're going to go through this a little bit. So starting in verse 39. Follow along with me. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah, greet and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, so we, our our story continues from last week. If you were here last week and you remember this, this is, this is right after in our text in Luke, this is right after Mary was visited from the angel Gabriel uh, and told that she was going to be, become pregnant with the son of God. And now um, before that, we know that the prophet Zechariah um, had a visit from an angel that told him that his, his wife Elizabeth, uh, who had been barren their whole life, uh, would conceive and give birth to a baby. Um, and that baby would go on to prepare the way for the Lord. And so that baby that Elizabeth has is John, um, John the Baptist. So now remember last week, Mary had been told by her angel that her relative, right, Elizabeth, even in her old age, was also going to have a baby. And so Mary decides to take a little trip 
Okay, take a little journey to see her, her relative Elizabeth. Um, and so really quickly about this journey, because it's, it's really important that, that we, we get some, some detailed information about this little trip that Mary took to see Elizabeth. Um, it says that Mary arose and went to the hill country to a town in Judah. So the significance of this is that where Mary was, like she was in Nazareth, remember? Um, and from Nazareth to this hill country in Judah um, was roughly about 100 miles so that's a pretty, pretty long journey, pretty, pretty long ways away. And not only was she just traveling 100 miles, right? Um, it seemed like Mary did this alone. Okay, there wasn't any mention of Joseph or any other family members. Uh, and maybe there was, but, but it seemed like she did this alone. So not only is Mary just finding out that she's, she's now pregnant, and she's about to travel 100 miles on foot, that's crazy on its own, but doing that alone is, un, is unheard of, and especially was unheard of back then. You wouldn't do, like a woman wouldn't do a trip like this on her own. And you can imagine the, the dangers that Mary could have possibly been faced when she was on her way to see um, Elizabeth. You know, obviously walking on dirt roads and, and rocks, and uh, this would have been a trek up into the mountains, uh, so a trek uphill, about a 1,300-foot climb in elevation. So let alone like this path would have been notorious and just like a popular uh, place for, for bandits, right? To come and surprise travelers to steal everything, right? I'm not talking about the wet bandits or the sticky bandits, okay? Like these are the real deal, right? Real deal, real deal people um, who would have caused her, her danger. And it says this, it says that Mary arose and went with haste. She was ready. Like it seems like she was excited about this, that like nothing was going to stand in her way of going to visit her relative uh, Elizabeth, who had been barren for years and years and years and decades and decades and is, and is now expecting just like she was. And so it's, it's important to pause and note that in Mary's time of unbelievable uncertainty, just, just craziness of what has been happened to her um, even just in the short time, in the thick of her, of her questions about, um, about the reality of how this was all going to take place, like we talked about last week, um, in a time of having her entire world just rocked by what the angel told her, it says this next verse that after the angel departed from her, it says that Mary got up quickly um, and went to share in the excitement of her relative who um, had been barren her entire life, who was expecting a baby. And even Mary... Mary was told she was going to bear the son of God, and she immediately took this long journey, difficult journey, because she wanted to celebrate in someone else's dream. Like, we're already shown how selfless and caring and humble this young teenage girl is. But this is just showing us how to, how to be there for each other, right? How to celebrate in each other's dreams and blessings, Mary, Mary is an example of a lot of things, a lot of things. And we're going to get to some of those now, but that's a really important thing that we don't want to skip over. And so Mary arrives at the house, okay? She arrives at the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and who knows where Zechariah is at this point, like, right? We know that he's, he's mute, right? He can't speak, he's deaf, he can't hear. Um, but, but Mary arrives and she meets Elizabeth, Okay, and then this is a part of the story that I think a lot of Christians, especially if you've grown up in the church, you kind of know uh, this, this piece of the story. But let's, let's relook at that. Verse 41, 
Verse 41, it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, which, which in fact, um, it, it would have actually been as soon as the baby inside Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, just like, remember this, Mary had just been visited by the angel telling her that she was going to conceive a baby. So it's still really early on in Mary's pregnancy, right? Um, but at this point, Elizabeth would have been about six months pregnant um, in her pregnancy with, with little JTB, right? Yeah, John. Meaning at this moment, okay, at this moment, the unborn John, the Baptist, recognized the presence of the Messiah in Mary's womb. Like the arrival of Mary and little baby Jesus in her womb caused an immediate reaction inside of Elizabeth. Now we don't, like we don't have time to get into um, what this, we, we don't have time to get into this, but, uh, but doesn't this speak to just the, the, the miracle of conception and life inside the womb during pregnancy. Like this is, this is an absolute perfect example of it. And I know we, like, we have a sermon on this if you want to go see it, uh, if you want to go listen to it. Um, but really, this is, this, this is the perfect time to see and talk about life and when life begins and all that kind of stuff. Um, with this text, this event, this miraculous meeting of these two babies inside of their mothers would absolutely support that there's active, individual, meaningful life inside of the womb. Like it wasn't Elizabeth who leaped, right? It wasn't Elizabeth um, who leaped, although she was probably pretty stoked to see Mary, right? But six months being pregnant, I don't, I don't know how much leaping she would be doing. I don't know. I've never, I haven't been there. Um, but it was the baby inside of Elizabeth leaped. John leaped when, when he heard the voice of the mother of the Messiah. Like that baby leaped inside of her womb when it came into the presence of the savior of the world. Like this is, inc this is incredible and we don't wanna miss this, but that's not where we're gonna camp on today. After the, after the baby leapt, in, in, her, uh, in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, she goes on to sort of pay her respects to Mary, to, to, to bless Mary, and she says this, verse 42. It says, and she exclaimed, this is Elizabeth, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So a few things to note here in, in Elizabeth's sort of blessing towards Mary as she comes at her house. She says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Like pretty much saying, like, who am I? Like, why is this why is this happening to me? And one piece that I think sometimes we we overlook that I don't wanna don't wanna miss is she says, my Lord. She says, my Lord. Like this is a story we hear so many times at Christmas, obviously, uh, but Elizabeth calls this little baby Jesus, 
little baby Jesus in the uterus, uh, she calls him her Lord already. That this little unborn baby is already her Lord. I mean, that just, that just blew my mind studying this, this, past, this past week. And, um, and then she blesses Mary, right? She blesses Mary. And really, Mary's own response to all of this, like what is happening to her by, by pretty much saying to Mary, who's been having these questions and kind of figuring this thing out, this just started happening to her. She says, blessed are you who believed this would happen. It's like we talked about last week. Like, I'm sure, yeah, Mary had questions, Right, Mary questioned things, just like Elizabeth probably questioned a bunch of things, right? When she suddenly became pregnant after her entire adult life of, of not being able to, to, to get pregnant, but it wasn't like she, would talk, she could talk to her husband about it, right? right? Zechariah kind of was no help during this, this time, right? Because of his, his choices, he couldn't, she couldn't really process it with, with anybody. But Elizabeth somehow knows now that Mary has her Lord in her womb and she blesses her for believing and having faith through all of this. Even if they both had a ton of questions and they were both scared and both uncertain about things to come, they they believed and trusted and had faith. It's just an incredible response from Mary, um, from Elizabeth to Mary when this woman shows up at her door. Now, before we get into um, the, this next piece, uh, which is Mary's response to all this, like I want to mention really quick uh, something that is of a huge significance that we're seeing, obviously, all over this text, but all over this story that we go through every single year. And that's the significance and role that women play in this story. Right? In the Christmas story of the birth of the Messiah, and we, and we even, even mentioned this last week, too, that we have two seemingly insignificant women, right? Two women that have, like, nothing in their past, nothing really in their family or their wealth that would, that would have them be chosen for this, their status or anything like that. Nothing that would have deemed them able, like, ready to be, like, picked by, by this, uh, by anyone else for these jobs. But two seemingly normal women, right? One old and barren or advanced, right? Um, the other, a, a young virgin, both have an experience with the Holy Spirit and change the course of human history. And God chose those two women, these specific women and no one else. Like to take a huge role in, in, in something that we will continue to talk about for all of eternity. And it's, and it's something that we can't miss is the role of women in this Story and if like if you know history, uh, women weren't really looked at that great, especially back then, right? Um, and did you know that like in time in these times when Jewish men would go and pray, okay, when Jewish men would go and pray, uh, they would pray for a lot of things, but they would pray for two specific things: they would thank God that they were not a Gentile, and they they would thank God that they were not a woman. It's true. They would pray these two things, okay. And how does God decide to fulfill all the promises that he's ever made and completely change the direction of this world is he does it using two women. So don't miss that. Along with with how much the unborn play a huge role in this Christmas story, women play a massive role in this story that we celebrate every year. As we heard um, 
Mary was, was favored. Last week we heard that Mary was the favored one. And now Elizabeth is saying, who am I that this would, that this would happen to me? Why me? Why my house right now? Like, who are we that God would do something through us? And really, this is, this is showing us that God chooses very ordinary people to do extraordinary things. It happens all, all, all the time. It happens all over scripture. And it should be a reminder to all of us sitting here today that he can, he can and will use each of us as well. So if you think you're just pretty normal, if you think there's nothing really special um, about you, well, get ready for God to use you in some, some not so insignificant ways. So let's, uh, I want to now get into the rest of our text, okay? Because this is where we want to spend um, quite a bit of our time this morning. You remember how um, I said this sermon was about humility and pride. Um, we're going to get into that right now. So there's no dodging this now. Um, let's read this next section in our Bibles, okay? Um, a lot of this is titled uh, differently in, in some Bibles. You might get Mary's song or Mary's song of praise. Uh, what a lot of Christians know this is uh, as Mary's Magnificat, okay? Mary's Magnificat, and Magnificat in, in Latin means to magnify, like my soul magnifies the Lord, okay? So this is a really popular piece that's right in here that Mary um, that, that Mary says here. So after Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house, right? And Elizabeth's baby leaps for joy and Elizabeth blesses um, Mary, all of that. Mary just bursts out into song like a normal person would, right? Like I do at my house, ask my kids and my wife. Um, but this song that Mary's about to sing, this isn't any old song, okay? Um, what Mary's about to reveal to us here is these attitudes of humility and pride, but also how God engages us in those areas of our life. And really seriously, what better person to hear this from than someone like Mary and what she's already been going through at this moment. So we're gonna go ahead and uh, I'm, I'm gonna read this whole song again, and then we'll go back through it in more detail and see what she's saying about how God deals with our humility and our pride. So follow along with me. We'll start in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And then it ends with verse, verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. It's a great song. Right? It's a great song. And, and here's what I think 
we see in this song. Here's what I think we could really get out of uh, this song. I think you can boil this song down to um, a, a lot more than this, but for the time that we have this morning, three things about the humble and three things about the proud. Okay, and I think by the end of this, we can, um, we, we can see even more reasons why, why God chose to do this work through these two women, Mary and Elizabeth, and um, how God engages us in our humility and in our pride. So let's start, um, let's start with that, with what Mary's song says about the humble first, okay? We'll start there at a good place, and then we'll get into everybody's favorite, um, the prideful. So, uh, the first thing Mary says, Mary's song says about the humble is that the humble fear the Lord. The humble fear the Lord. In verse 50, she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Okay, so this idea of fear, this idea of fear, we've, we've talked about it from up here a, like a few times over the, over the years, uh, but this fear of the Lord is not a bad fear, right? This is not a bad fear, okay? It's a good fear. It's like th- there's other words for it, reverence, awe, all those sorts of things. Um, all those still don't do this word justice uh, of the fear of the Lord. It's not a bad fear, right? It's not a bad fear like my fear of spiders, um, that is definitely not a good fear. Um, I don't respect spiders. I'm not in awe of spiders at all or their power. I just fear them because they scare me. Um, but a good fear would maybe be like the fear I have for like a grizzly bear. Okay. Okay. So, so follow with me. Like grizzly bears are beautiful creatures, right? Beautiful creatures at a distance. Um, I'm not necessarily afraid of a grizzly bear, uh, mainly because I don't really see them in my everyday life, uh, but I respect them, right? I respect a grizzly bear. Uh, I also know that if I came face to face with one in the wild and I messed with it a little bit, it would rip my face off. Uh, so that's the power that it has. So I fear them enough, right, to know that I don't want to mess with them. I wouldn't want to mess with them. I don't want to be on a grizzly bear's bad side, okay? As beautiful and majestic as those creatures are, are, um, I, I, I fear them. Uh, it would also be like your, your fear of the, of the ocean, okay? Your fear of the ocean, right? A good fear of the ocean. Like, man, the ocean's fun. It's fun to catch waves. It's fun to, uh, to, to surf, to, to swim in it, to be on the beach, to look for seashells, all that kind of stuff. It's even fun to go out on boats. Um, the, the ocean is great. But also to have a healthy fear of the ocean is knowing that it's the ocean and it's huge, and the power of the ocean, what it could do, um, that's, that's a good, healthy fear of the ocean. I, I, feel like, I feel like that's the sort of fear that Mary is talking about here in her song. Right? A fear of the Lord is really like, that's the first step of, of living a humble life. And there's a lot of many, many examples um, in scripture with this type of fear happening. Okay, if you remember after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, right? After it was, it was part of, they crossed the Red Sea and God destroyed, right? The Egyptians behind him, the Egyptian army behind him with the same waters that they were just walking through. The scriptures say they feared the Lord and put their trust in him. I mean, even, even this, this, this kind of type of fear 
uh, of, of what, this, what this looked like with, with, with Jesus and our response to this. I mean, Jesus, uh, he had like the people he hung out with and the people who came to Jesus, he had, he had prostitutes and drunks, uh, those kind of people always making their way to Jesus, falling at his feet, giving him everything, right? Just unloading all of that at his feet. And Jesus is like, okay, all right, like, let's, let's go, follow me. Right? Jesus' Jesus's MO was to go with those who humbled themselves enough and, get, and would give up their lives, their obsessions, would fear the Lord that much to humble themselves, give that all up, lay it down at his feet, and he would always show mercy to those people. And this is what, this is what Mary sings. The humble fear the Lord. And when men and women humble themselves and fear the Lord, no matter their background, no matter what they've done in their past, no matter where they're at now, in the present, like Mary says, he has mercy for them. So that's really the first thing that we see here in Mary's song that says about the humble, the humble fear the Lord. And, and hear me, that's a hard one for us. Right? That's a hard one for us to do, fear the Lord, right? That's a tough one but it's a big one and it's a very important one. Okay, so the next thing, the next thing in Mary's song that says about the humble in her song, it says the humble are ordinary. The humble are ordinary. I almost put for this one, the humble are humble, um, but I know you can't use the word in the definition really. Uh, so, but the humble are humble. The humble are, are ordinary. Look at verse 52 says he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Right? We see this all the time in scriptures too, right? That's all, this is all over scripture. Someone, someone ordinary that God has chosen and brought up through the ranks to the humble estates, right? Good example of this is what we were just studying this past spring, right? And we're going to get into even more of him this, this next spring in, in David, right? David's story. David was just ordinary, right? Like David was literally an afterthought to his own dad. Okay. If you were here with us through that study, you remember that um, when, when Samuel, the prophet comes to, comes to anoint the new King. All right. He's, he comes, comes to anoint the, the new King. He goes to Jesse's dad and he goes to Jesse's dad and he's like, okay, where are all your sons? I'm looking for them. And Jesse's dad, Jesse's dad, Jesse, David's dad um, brings out all his sons, right? Remember this brings out all of his sons. He's like, which one do you want as the, as the new king? Um, and then even at the end of that, right? Samuel's like, uh, none of these. Do you have any more sons? And he's like, um, oh yeah, there is one. He forgot about David, right? Right, he forgot about David. He's like, okay, where's your other son? Oh, I do have one more. He's in the field playing a harp. It's like, yeah, I forgot about, I forgot about that guy. Right? David was forgotten about by his own dad. He was short, right? He was young. He was, he was ordinary. There wasn't anything really special about him. And, and at that time, you got to remember who the king actually was, right? Who the king was at this time. That guy, that guy fit the bill as, as a king, right? He was tall, handsome. He was a warrior. He checked all the boxes. But God was like, I, I want that guy. I want that boy who's in the field playing a harp. That's the one I want as king. 
So all, all through scriptures, we, we, we see God use ordinary people for extraordinary things. And, and Mary and Elizabeth are perfect examples of that too. Like, like these two, like these two women, like from, from where? It says God exalts those humble estates. He exalts the ordinary. So those are, those, are, those are the first two, okay? The first two in Mary's song, we see um, the, the, the humble fear God, and we see that the humble are just humble or, or ordinary. And now we go on to the third one, um, the third point here that, that Mary makes in her song about the humble is that the humble are hungry. The humble are, are hungry. Verse 53. It says, he has filled he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. You ever heard, uh, heard this term when it comes to sports? Um, hungry, like being hungry for, for a win or something like that. Maybe athletes who have, who have said that. Like you hear this all the time in, in interviews with athletes. Uh, maybe it's a football player who has been in the league for you know, 10 plus years, who has never gotten to the big game, never won the Super Bowl or the, bit, or the ring or the trophy or whatever it is, never even got a chance to play in it. Uh, but then he's finally there and, and the interviews for him uh, before the game, you know, they always ask like, what's, what's your, your motivation? What's your drive to keep doing this so many years and all this to continue to do this? And um, a lot of times their answers are kind of along the lines of like, I'm, I'm hungry. Like I'm, I'm hungry for that, for that win. They're hungry for that win. You can, and you can see it too. Like you can see it in their eyes as they, as they take, uh, as they take the field, as they play, um, they look like a madman. Like they're, they're hungry for that win. That's what drives them. And then when it finally happens, when they win that, um, and you, you see them holding the trophy and like tears are just like streaming down their face, you know, they ha- they're in this state of just absolute gratitude for, for what is going on, that they, they've done it. It's almost like they've gotten this, this monkey off their back, right? They finally won it. And then you got on the flip side of that, you got the interviews to the losing team afterwards, um, which are always great because you've got questions like, why do you think you lost that game? Which is just kind of a no brainer and probably something they don't really want to answer right then. Um, but you see those and like, like they're bummed and really the consensus answer, you know, like the, the cookie cutter answer for those who, who lost um, in defeat, uh, they kind of say, you know what? The other team just, they wanted it more. Like they were, I, I think they were more hungry than, than we were. And so it is with us and God, right? Hear me, like when a, when a sinner is, is hungry to be freed from their sin, like when there's just like, like been a monkey on your back of, of, of darkness, a secret that you've been hiding this so long, like living, uh, living in and just like pulling you deeper and deeper into sin. Like when a, when a sinner has a deep, deep desire not to walk in that sin anymore, to get that monkey off their back, when they have that deep desire to not walk in sin anymore, when you have that, that hunger to walk away from these things, the Bible says that God will fill you with good things. When you're hungry for God, he will fill you. But this is, a, this, this is the hard part of this, right? It sounds easy, but this is the hard part of this. Like, this is a humble stance to take, right? To, to, to admit you're a sinner, 
to admit there's something not really right with you, to admit that there's something pulling you further away from God, like that's a, that's a humble place to be and we don't like it, right? That's what, that's what we get with a lot of, you know, non-believers when, when people are talking about like this whole Christianity thing and what they don't like about it, like they don't like the cross. They don't like what that represents, because looking at that cross, you, you have to say like, oh, that cross, we believe in what happened on that cross, then we have to believe that we are, we're sinners. Like that, that cross makes us know that like we, like we are senior, sinners in need of a savior. But we don't, we don't like hearing that. We don't like doing the hard work on ourselves, um, admitting our deepest, darkest sins. We we're just like to say, I'm, I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's all, it's good. But when we do, God says that he fills that darkness with good things. Okay, the third, third thing, third thing I found in, in Mary's song of praise about what it looks like to be humble. Uh, again, there's more, but, but these are the three I, I found. You've, you fear, the humble fear of the Lord. Uh, the humble are ordinary. Um, they are hungry. Those are, those are three things. So uh, now I want to get to the part that we really don't like. Okay, for the last bit of our time, as much as Mary sings about the humble, right? She also sings about the proud. And um, so, so with those three traits on how God responds to the humble, there's, there's on the flip side of that is also how he um, responds to those who have pride in their heart. So let's start with the first one. The number one thing that I saw this is the proud aren't self-aware. Okay, I could have put like, the proud don't know that they're proud. The proud don't know that they're proud. Look at verse 51. It says this, it says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now, what it means here in, in a, the Greek translation, what it means with thoughts here, thoughts actually really means imagination, right? It could also mean imagination, meaning the proud don't know that they're proud. They're just living in their own imagination, right? They're delusional. Like they think they're okay, you know, when they think they're, they're living in their imagination. This would be like, um, like, working in, like working at a job, and maybe this is you. Like you've got a boss that's, you know, always kind of over your shoulder, always telling you the right way to do things, just on your case about everything, like never making it easy, making things so difficult. Um, and your response is always, okay, okay, you just wait till I'm, wait till I'm the boss, right? Wait till I'm, I'm there, right? Just wait till it's my turn turn to do this. Like, I'm not going to do it like, like he did it. I'll do it my own way. And it'll, it'll be, it'll be better. Yeah. That's called bitterness. Okay. That's called letting bitterness fester inside of you. But, but, but you just think, no, that's not, that's not, that, that isn't. I just wish they would do it the right way, which is my way. I just wish they would do it that way. That's living in your imagination, right? That's not thinking that what you're doing is a problem or that you have a problem. What about, what about marriage? Okay. What about in your marriage when your marriage isn't going well, right? You're fighting constantly. You're at each other's throats about something every day. And one spouse brings up, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe we should go to counseling. Like maybe we should just, just like go to counseling and try to figure this out together. Try to um, try, try to be better at this. Like, like figure these things out. You know what the proud does that, that isn't self-aware. They wouldn't agree to that. Right? They would just say, no, no, we're fine. We don't need counseling. Like, we don't need that help. 
We're fine. That's for, that's for other people that have real problems, right? We don't have those problems. You know, when, the, when, when your whole marriage is on fire, but you're the only one who can't see it burning, right? Because in your head, everything's fine. That's dumb. That, that's arrogant. That's prideful. And hear me, like preaching, like pride sermons are the worst. They're so difficult, right? Because like I said at the top, you're, you're either being convicted of the Holy Spirit right now, or, or we tend to hear this and say, yeah, that'd be good for somebody else to hear. Not me though. Like, gosh, you know, you know, it'd be great to hear. Like when I, when, when you, and we've heard this plenty of times and you walk out those doors, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to send this to, to someone who I think I, I know someone who needs to hear that. Yeah, you, you need to hear this, okay? The proud aren't self-aware. They don't, they don't know that they're proud. They're living in their imagination. Next one, the next one we have here in, in Mary's song about the proud. The proud have a false sense of control. Okay, look at verse, thir- verse 52. Okay, we've seen part of this already. But verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. The first part of this verse, God brings down the mighty from their thrones. You see, proud people believe they can control things. Everything, right? They believe they can control everything. And it's almost always based out of fear, right? And here's, here's, how, they, here's how they do it. They sit on their throne and then they look at their life and they try to control everything about it, but really it's just, it's, it's just afraid of the, being afraid of those things. They feel like they just need to control these things, so they think, well, if I'm, if I'm afraid of these things, like, I'll just control them, which will make me be afraid of them more, which will make me want to control them more, and over and over and over. Uh, case in point, parenting. Parents in here, all right? Um, if you fear your kids will do something crazy, like act out, go wild, be absolutely crazy, get in all kinds of trouble, and all you do is try and control everything about them. Now, this is different from, the, from like good discipline and boundaries and all that. This is like to the extreme, you try to control everything around them with more rules, more boundaries. Like you decide who, who they can be friends with, who they can't be friends with, everything. You know what happens? Is statistics say they will rebel right? Become even more out of control. Another example, marriage again, right? There's a lot of marriage examples, okay? Um, If you're terrified that your spouse might do blank or might be doing blank, right? And you go crazy trying to control everything that they do, tracking their phones, like looking over their shoulder, you grill them with questions every single day when they walk through the doors. Listen, your spouse might push you away, Because of that, God says to those living in pride who try and control everything out of fear, I'm going to blow up your throne. Or what most likely happens for most of the time is is he says, okay, you're going to blow up your own throne. And the problem with these people is they're, they're just so filled with pride that when these things happen to them, that seem to be outside of their control, like their response is, I told you so. I knew that was going to happen. 
And because of their pride, like nothing's their fault, right? They're not gonna take the blame for it. This is why pride is so devastating, church. Okay, one last one. One last one about the pride is that the proud can't be satisfied. Okay, look at verse 53. It says, he has filled, we, we heard this, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, this is one of those um, kind of weird verses, again, that's like talking about, you know, the rich and, and money and everything like that. Like, is, oh, is it saying that being rich is bad? Like, no, I don't, I don't think it's saying that. Um, I think what it means is that uh, men and women who feel rich, like, and, and maybe you could change that out with maybe who feel full, like who feel satisfied, like they, they aren't in need anymore, Right? Or just and 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 the 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 crazy thing about that is is when when you're just already filled up with things and you're not in need anymore, then you're not pursuing the Lord anymore. You know these people are full; they feel like you know they've they've had enough. They're getting enough elsewhere. The prideful have this false sense of being satisfied. Really, they've relied on themselves so much that they aren't in need of God anymore. Examples of this, again, examples could be money. Hey, you have a lot of money? Good. Like you have enough? You think you have all, all of it, right? You don't need anything else, right? Maybe it's other things. Maybe it's like your body, right? Maybe you've, you've put so much into your physical look, right? That, that you're good. Like you don't need anything else. You put it all into that. Like your body's good. Your bank account's good. So what need is there for anything else, right? Where does God fit into that? What, what need is there for God, and the truth is, is that all of these things at some point will fail. At some point, the rich will be empty. At some point, your body will fail you. Sorry, it will. At some point, your money will fail you. At some point, the proud, will, they'll, they'll, they'll be wanting more, wanting more, wanting more, needing more because all these things are failing. And eventually, the proud just can't get enough. And eventually, they'll end up, up empty. No, nothing's going to satisfy them. So as I, as I wrap up here uh, with these last couple minutes, um, uh, let, me, let me try and tie these two things together, okay? The proud and the humble. And um, in, in doing this, I want to bring up one other passage of scripture that kind of gives us an idea of how God treats uh, the proud and the humble. And I'll put it up on the screen. We, we went through James a little bit ago, so you might remember this, but this is just a good one. Short and sweet, pretty simple. James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so what I've, what I've learned in studying this, this passage in, in Luke um, about these traits and everything, I believe that when we are prideful, like we, we think we're God and we, we refuse to acknowledge our need for a savior. We think, we think we have it all under control we think we can handle everything, right? Our kids, our marriage, our jobs, our money, everything. We've got it. Like we don't, we don't need any help. We don't need anything else. And that's the pride. But the humble, I believe that when we are humble, we understand our sinfulness while also understanding our need for a savior, our need for God. We understand who we are. And that, hey, we are nobodies, right? We're, just, we're ordinary people, nothing special. 
We understand like who God is and, and, and we treat him with the fear and reverence that he deserves, that good fear. And we understand that the things of this world will, will not satisfy us the way the Lord satisfies. And, and we're hungry for more of that. And so church, as we're kind of, we're cruising through this Christmas season already, um, just an, another Christmas season, I wanna ask you this. What are you hungry for this Christmas? Like, is it, is it more of him or is it more of yourself? Because if, if we're walking in humility, he gives us grace. But, it, but if we're living a life of pride, he opposes those who are prideful. And I don't know, like, I don't know if that verse scares anybody else. Like, it scares me. I think it's a good fear again. Um, God opposes the proud. Like, he's in opposition of those who are prideful. And hear, and hear me, church. I ask, I ask that you reflect on these things for yourself, right? Not for your spouse, not for that other person that you're thinking of, right? That coworker, that family member, but, but for yourself. Do the hard work yourself. Do you have, do you have pride in your hearts that, that, need, that needs to be confessed? Are you hungry for a savior this Christmas? Are you walking humbly with God like Mary and Elizabeth? It's the humble that God chooses and he opposes the prideful. So let's walk in humility this, this Christmas church. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for, for being God. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for um, what the cross means. God, that we are sinners. That we are sinful people, God, in need of a savior. And God, I thank you for this, this story that we, um, that we read every single year at this time, God. And I thank you for... Um, for, for these two women, for other characters that, that, we, that we read about that we might not read about every single year, God. Um, but I thank you for this message of what it looks like to live with humility. God, in, in fearing you. God, in loving you, in respecting you. God, but also I thank you that this is, a, this is an eye-opener for probably a lot of us, God. I pray that, God, for all those in this room that are, are convicted by this pride, by maybe this pride that is inside of their hearts, that maybe they don't want to acknowledge that they, they have, they don't want to admit that they have. Um, God, I pray that this is a moment that during this Christmas season that we could give that all to you, that we can lay that down on your, at your feet. Jesus, like all those who come to you, and we read about that came to you, all, all those sinners who had, who had so many things in their lives. God, come and lay those down at your feet and humbly lay those down at your feet and wanna follow you, God. God, I pray that that could be each and every one of us in this room today. So God, I ask that you, you help us do the hard work on our hearts right now as we're uh, about to take time in, in communion, God, and remembering what you did on that cross for us as sinners. Uh, God, that you help us Help us search our hearts, search for those prideful, prideful things that we just keep um, in those closets of our hearts, God, and, and help us lay those down at your feet, God. God, we thank you for, for, for giving us grace. 
God, we pray that we acknowledge that we are, are sinners in need of a savior this Christmas. And God, whatever that looks like for each and every one of us, I just pray, God, that we, we know that, we, we believe in that, we trust that. God, and we, we strive to live a life of humility like, like these two amazing women that we read about. God, we, we, we love you, we thank you for this time, and we pray these things in your name, amen.